So that Do we know be... what number episode this is? I feel like that sh- we should say We that should start saying that because a lot of people say like 239. Episode 200. Th- <laughs> you could just say that. It's not 239. Welcome to episode number 78 of the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource that's designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We hope that this mini-series that we're calling Escaping Babel has been helpful for you as we've looked at things like human sexuality, life stages, development, and how to navigate through all of those things in a way that follows Jesus and glorifies God. Specifically in this episode, lead pastor Nick Gibson, his assistant Jill Reese, and our director of worship arts Nicole Kyle are going to be talking about avoiding sexual and emotional temptation in relationships. So they're going to look at both how to do that in the dating stage of life and how to do that in the married stage of life and how by avoiding that you can avoid a lot of misery and a lot of problems that can come from giving into those temptations. They're going to cover a lot of really practical stuff that will be helpful for you as you think through how to avoid that specific type of temptation. So without further ado, welcome to the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to build substantive disciples for the local church. I am Jill Reese, and um, I'm here with Nicole Kyle and Nick Gibson, and we're going to do some follow-up conversation um, to the classes that Nick and I led a few weeks ago uh, called Escaping Babel. There was part one and part two, so you can see those on the podcast. They were in the inopportune dog days of summer, and we're... (laughs) poorly attended and yet we were told <laughs> by a number of people that they really wanted to hear what we were talking about so we wanted to expand on this more yes. and we have lots of thoughts on this yes we in do. fact jill reese you'll all be glad to know this said you know i didn't think i would probably write a book but if i was gonna write a book it would be on this stuff i didn't yeah. know that actually yeah. i said that i've always wanted to write a book about stuff related to this but right. didn't know how it fit together yeah that's yeah. more accurate and then <laughs> i've had i've had at least four people tell me yeah. this should be my next book yes Mm-hmm. So it should be. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true or not. The people who that's like true. what I'm saying definitely think that. And then there's others who think that I probably should not talk about this more. Mm-hmm. So, but. Well, we'll see. Whatever. We'll see. We'll see. Wisdom yeah. is proved right by her children, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, for context, uh, Nick wanted to say how old we all are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I'm 28. This is Jill speaking. I'm 28. I'm Nicole. I'm 27. And I'm Nick. I'm 41. And, but I, I will say this is one of the reasons why Nicole's in here. Um, since she's of near identical age to our other host, is that Nicole was a staff worker at um, University of Minnesota. A little bit here. You were a student here. I was a student, student here, involved with crew. And then my husband, Scott, and I were on staff for a while with crew in the Twin Cities and worked primarily at the University of Minnesota with yeah, students. And so, yeah, right. And so you discipled students. And mm-hmm. when students are 18 to 21 years old, what percentage of that discipling is related to romance, would you oh, say? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Especially when you're talking with girls. A yeah. lot a of lot it. A lot of it, yeah. A lot. So Nicole not only has the story of her own epic romance with Scott, <laughs> but also there's lots of discipling with young women. And a number of these things we talked about, Nicole just went off about in my office because she'd had so many relationships with even very godly young mm-hmm. Christian women mm-hmm. who seemed sideways on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted her to be here. Yes. Good. So in the second class, we at the end of the class, we talked about advice for young men and advice for young women. And unfortunately, there was... There was a ton, not unfortunately, this part. There was a ton of advice for young women. Unfortunately, we did not get to all of it, and a lot of it we had to be brief about because we were out of time. So we are going to talk 
mostly about that. Yeah, it looks like this will break down to at least four more podcasts. Probably two on <laughs> two on advice for women, one on advice for men, one just on differences between men and women, where we'll get to the questions yeah. that have been asked and sent in, and then probably one on life stages where we'll have mm. different guests. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. <laughs> cool. Okay, so um, there is a handout available from the class that has advice for young men and young women, and it's available at highpointchurch.org slash babble. So we're going to be go- coming. We're going to be talking off of that handout, so you can get that there. Um, it, and Nick and I in the class talked mostly, or talked a lot about emotional attachment for women and what that means and why, how to be careful about that. And yeah. So quick thing on this, yes. and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more in the gender differences one. But um, Stephen Rhodes's book, Taking Sex Differences Seriously, has a great section on this of all the research on women and. Um, modern sexual like sex without attachment kind of stuff Mm. and the research says that is not possible Mm -hmm. women do not engage Mm -hmm. in sexual relationships Mm -hmm. even the most feminist Mm -hmm. like the most secular Mm -hmm. the most athletic the most high testosterone women like the women you would think would totally get and totally enjoy sex without attachment it does not happen Mm -hmm. it's the number of women who that's who are cool with that is is virtually zero and mm-hmm. so if you think women can do this, you're wrong. And I'm not And the Bible says you're wrong. It has been right for 4,000 years, mm-hmm. but all of the most modern science says you're wrong. It is a myth of media and mm-hmm. of wanting things to not be attached to other things. Secularism is based in the idea that you can make whatever choice you want and it's fine mm-hmm. and it won't have a lot of consequences, unintended consequences. And so in order to believe that, you want to believe that a lot of things aren't related to other things, mm-hmm. right? So you can be mean to your wife and it won't affect your sex life. That does, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Everything's related to everything. Mm-hmm. Women, for women, sex is related to everything, especially attachment. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you can have free sex is simply false. It has different bad effects on men. Men seem to be more, much more psychologically okay with it. Than women it's just a difference between us for very specific reasons because women are become more vulnerable when they are impregnated and have mm-hmm. children and so it makes perfect sense that they would want attachment before mm-hmm. they bring these incredibly helpless creatures into the world that take forever to develop we call children right so it's it's perfectly biological and perfectly spiritual and so we we should first start by not denying this mm-hmm. right i think related to that and on the flip side we need to not lie to ourselves and say that as long as you're not having sex with somebody that you shouldn't be having sex with, there's no emotional attachment and that emotional attachment isn't dangerous too, because that's, that could be what starts an affair or an inappropriate relationship is the emotional side of it. Absolutely. If I had a bell sound I could do on this podcast, I would be like, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's then in that, but here's the thing, all things are related. That leads to sex. Yes. Um, Usually when I talk to women who, especially women who make Christian professions, that it's attachment, attachment precedes sex mm-hmm. Did you say in christian professions even with with christians who people who profess christian oh, faith profess, yeah. yeah they'll get they'll get emotionally entangled mm-hmm. and then that tends to lead to mm-hmm. sexual entanglement because intimacy begets intimacy between people of opposite genders mm-hmm. yes. it turns out that that's biologically determined mm-hmm. right yeah and so yeah it's so funny that mo- the modern secular sophistication is incredibly naive mm-hmm. and one of, the, one of the great insights of Christian faith against worldliness 
is that the the height of secular sophistication is incredibly naive about human beings. Mm-hmm. So I think because some of the emotional attachment, that might even be a new concept for some people because in our culture, it's perfectly normal for a man and a woman to be best friends or really close and not, it's I mean, supposedly not be in love, but I don't think that's possible. No. So I'm wondering if you guys can think of examples of what emotional attachment might look like so that people can have an idea of what that is because it might be new for some people. Um, I, I think I can speak from experience on this. Um, when I met Scott, I was in a different relationship. I was dating somebody and I was, it's so funny cause I could, in my mind at the time, it was easy for me to justify and say, well, like, you know, that relationship was almost ending and it was not doing well, but it wasn't over. And I met Scott at this Christian mission trip thing. That was the whole summer. And I remember thinking to myself, I just want to be really good friends with him and even told him that. And he was like, that's dumb. Like, that's not possible. (laughs) You can't just, I'm not going to be able to become very good friends with you. Right. Right. And so I, I think that it, it can just blind you and you Mm -hmm. can be oblivious to it. And that's what it was for me. I just didn't want to uh, what was really going on is I liked him. I thought he was cute. I had a crush on him and I would have, I wanted to be dating him and not the person I was dating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think you can manipulate your own self to think it's just a good friendship. Like I get along with this person in a different way or on a different level. It's really just, it's those friendships are dangerous. And I, I think that's true because of personal experience. And I, I mean, yeah. it's a, fu- it's a fundamental function of the co-ed workplace. It's yeah. just a fundamental function of the code workplace. So it's worst in churches, and it's worse. It's worst in like in in, in like um, blue in white collar settings because mm-hmm. women are massively going into white collar mm-hmm. work. They're outnumbering men significantly. That's why you're getting more and more sp- spouse poaching. Like I just was reading more stuff on this where like especially white educated women, something like forty percent of them confess to spouse poaching. Well, what? I have I know people who work who are non-Christians in these instances who work in companies and they talk about how they have their work husband who is married, has his own family and then they've got their work husband and work wife and I just think like what yeah. wife wants her husband to have a work wife and what husband is going to be comfortable with that? Like there's something warped and messed up about if you've got that much of an emotional attachment with someone to the point yeah. that you're calling them a work wife or a work husband. Where yeah. There's just a... <clears throat> Right. Uh, there's a danger. It's a problem. There. Yeah. 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 And um, attachment is supposed to increase. Like human beings are made to bond and attach with each other. And so it yeah. increases over time. Mm-hmm. And so like for men and women, you like, there are just time limitations. There's just so much time you can't have with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's also um, intimate, like intimate discussion topics that you just can't talk about. Right. right. Yep. And there are limits to those kinds of things. And, um, one one sign is like you just um, you just want to go talk to that person. Yep. You don't yeah. really have a good reason. You're you just, you're yeah. manufacturing reasons to go talk to that or person. Or you are texting them all the time. Like if you are always, that's the pers- first person that you want to tell something mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. That's, it, especially yeah. in the first hour after you wake up and the last yeah. hour before you go mm-hmm. to bed. Yeah. I think um, if you haven't listened to the Escaping Babble Talks in in one in the second one, Nick, you said um, 
that one of the things is as a married person, you should never be talking to someone of the opposite sex complaining about your spouse. Yes. I think that if you find yourself wanting to do that, that is a huge red flag. And I also think if you find yourself in a situation where you are, um, if you're in a relationship or if the other person is in a relationship and you're noticing this happening, you just cut it off. Like if this is about just practical advice, cut it off. Just stop. Stop having that relationship with them you probably shouldn't go into the details of why with that person because that is making yourself and them vulnerable to even more intimate conversations. But mm-hmm. just stop having that relationship. And th- that is a perfectly appropriate time to ghost someone. <laughs> because <laughs> if you want to protect yeah. your marriage or if you mm-hmm. want them to protect their marriage, just cut it off. Or your yeah. dating relationship or whatever. Yeah, because one of the things people I just think people don't understand is, is that your your body, your physical body is programmed for intimacy slash promiscuity. It's mm-hmm. just programmed for it because mm-hmm. human beings go through so much physical sacrifice and childbearing that our minds, like our consciousness is like, I don't really want to do that. In a pretty deep way. Like, I don't really want to do that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pain. I could die like, most of our history, like women, I could die. Mm-hmm. And so your body has all these internal systems programmed to get you into bed with people, mm-hmm. right? Because human beings need to procreate and they need to procreate a good bit to continue to exist. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, is the more you bond with somebody, the more your mind, your mind and your hormones and your, your body chemicals are playing tricks on you mm-hmm. and moving you into a slowly into an altered state of consciousness. Men know this, like if you type in, some some Google search and you get Google images of like scantily clad ladies, right? There's you can actually feel the release hmm. of the chemicals that make you like really feel like you have to click on that. Mm. And even if you say no, you still when you see that picture, you can literally feel this hit. Mm-hmm. chemical hit that hits you and it feels like uncontrollable. But when you're going through relational bonding, right? It's slower. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. feel exactly the same way as like looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. And so it's more deceiving and it's less all or nothing. But you find yourself wanting to talk with a person more and then you just you just wish you're just kind of you have this sort of vague wish from just more from mm-hmm. the relationship. Mm-hmm. For just more. Mm-hmm. But eventually more is kissing them. Mm-hmm. Right? And and I'm doing air quotes. It's it feels so right because yes. like you said <laughs> We're programmed to have that progression of intimacy. Right. Yeah. You're a little high on dopamine. Yeah. Like you're, you are literally, literally in an altered state of consciousness <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. don't, because like when you get drunk, like you drink the drink, it's in your hand. Mm-hmm. You're like consenting in your, and you can even control consciously right. how, how buzzed or whatever you're going to mm-hmm. get. You know, like, you know, Scott's like one beer, Scott or two beer, Scott. <laughs> Like Nicole's husband is like, if you want to make him funny, just like one, right? But like most, most people know, and you know, you're doing it, right? If people smoke Mm -hmm. up or if they drink Mm -hmm. or whatever, like they're trying to get a little or a lot of altered state of consciousness, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Your body does this automatically and Mm -hmm. it is trying to bond you with people and it's trying to bond you with more than one person at a time. Mm -hmm. The idea that like, if you fall in love with somebody, your body is going to stop trying to bond you with other people is naive and scientifically false and biblically untrue and like only wishful thinking Mm -hmm. could possibly make you believe on the basis of your own experience and the experience of others. I mean, just look around you. Everybody's jumping into bed with everybody else and they're all saying they're not going to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, just wake up. Right. And you have to start, you have to start way 
ahead of the game. Like, otherwise you just end up there. So I know yeah. for, for me, um, I think, I think this is probably universally true, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that men and women can spend one-on-one time together if they cannot end up in a relationship. So like, I mean, if someone, if a man asks a woman on a date, obviously like they're not going to have like their mom come along or something. But like, so for me, I'm married and I can't just go have like lunch. Like I can't just go out to coffee whenever I want with a guy friend by myself. Mm -hmm. I just can't do that. And I can't um, have like, I've had friends, um, like guy friends try to like chat me on Facebook and I don't think they're meaning any harm, but I just don't respond because it's like a, it's more of like a personal conversation or like a, just how are you today? And I don't need to and I do think, that. <laughs> I think what you said in yeah. the last episode, Jill, was that you, no one ever wakes up and says, I'm going to have an affair mm-hmm. today. It's one small decision after mm-hmm. small decision after small decision. And you have to be aware of that, which is why you have to be on guard. Yeah. I kind of feel like we're doing a podcast on affair prevention. Maybe we should, <laughs> yeah, we maybe should. We should just go with it or something. <laughs> That's kind of than, a lot of what this is. I think, especially in our culture today. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think what this is predicated on is one of the biggest, one of the biggest areas of worldliness is our conception, the conceptions we've accepted. And so part of, part of secular is what you, what really is the romanticism in secularism. So secularism we think of as this great scientific movement, but it's not, it's not just scientific. There's, there is an empirical strain in it. But there is a huge romanticism strain in it mm-hmm. through Marxism, through Rousseau, through through. There's always romanticism is always there with empiricism because empiricism is like we can get all the numbers right, and there's lots of people who are like we should just love each other, and so there's always this romanticism of like oh no it should be like this, and in modern secularism romanticism is actually the set of ideas in control. We think it's the empiricism, it's not. The empiricism is just serving the romanticism. Um, I think some of the way we treat children who are non-gender binary right now is a great example of that, right? 1% or less are actually gender dysphoric. Mm-hmm. Most of them just need good examples of clear gender behavior, what masculinity and femininity looks like. They need to not be bullied. They need kindness, like some of the basic things mm-hmm. of human society. But instead we're like, well, we can use science to give them hormone blockers and mm-hmm. we can like do all these interventions and... What, what's happening here is we have this romantic idea that like gender shouldn't exist. Like gender is like itself an injustice. Why should your, why should your decisions, why should who you are be controlled by anything? So next it'll be humanity, right? The next progression is so, so we're not men and women. We're not, we don't have to be opposite sex related. We don't even have to be men and women. Next it's going to be human is a pliable category. What human is. Right with the integration of technologies mm-hmm, into mm-hmm, our bodies mm-hmm. and so on, we'll have this kind of, well, what's, what is a human really? We're just right. a different kind of animal. And what's, why should that all determine certain this or that, right? And that idea that you can like, you can define anything about you is fully romantic and fully naive. Mm-hmm. And Christi- Christianity has built into it an essentialist idea of what a human being is. And that's something that is so deep in the scriptures that it, I don't think you can extricate it mm-hmm. and survive like and have Christianity in any meaningful sense. Mm-hmm. And so what a Christian does is we see ourselves as man or woman and understand what it means to be a man or a woman. And if we're not normative in some sense, we find a way to incorporate that. Right. But we don't blow the thing up 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so one of those things is to recognize that men and women are sexual creatures. They're made to be a perfect match for each other. They're meant to bond with each other. Their relationships are inherently sexual. Um, adulterousness on the female side is everywhere. Women mm-hmm. are not moral. Mm-hmm. Right. So we tend to think that yeah. men are these like sexual dogs and women are like these virtuous creatures and the men are always tempting the women into things. And that's just not true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, women women want different things. And so mm-hmm. they utilize promiscuity differently than men utilize it. Mm-hmm. But they, b- both men and women mm-hmm. tend to act pragmatically. And so what men seem to want pragmatically in sexual relationships is the sex itself. And preferably for, for them to be able to express their fertility, for their image to be born in another person, and for someone else to take responsibility for raising that duplication of their image, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? That is the ultimate in power. It is the ultimate in enlarging yourself, right? That your image mm-hmm. is passed on to someone else and someone else then takes responsibility for raising it, mm-hmm. right? Um, for women, they want they want the protection, the control, the relationship, mm-hmm. the, the resources, the mm-hmm. presence, because they're going to have these children. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. and so the idea that so the idea that we can make sex infertile is part of what makes this whole idea possible or yeah. plausible. Right. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that both men and women have an insatiable drive to procreate. Mm-hmm. That they that is like it's indefatigable or inexhaustible. Like men can say they want infertile sex and they don't, not really. And women can say they want infertile sex, but they don't really. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why like condom programs don't really work because it feels unintimate to have non-reproductive sex. Mm-hmm. Like married couples who have had babies and have had sex, had like. Um, sexually preventative sex infertile sex and fertile sex they all know the fertile sex is the most intense Mm -hmm. because of everything hangs in the balance everything exists you can create a new human being and so all these emotions and power and and intimacy and bonding and are all swirled in together in this like eternal everything is at stake kind of moment and so men and women always drive towards not only sex but fertile sex and so that's just part of being a human and if you don't understand that, like I can't tell you how many 14 year olds are French kissing their boyfriends or girlfriends, not realizing that their whole physical system with all hormones are driving towards intercourse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when, the minute you do something that is sexual at all, mm-hmm. your body releases all these hormones to get you to have sex with the other mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I think one of the reasons this is important for for young women to understand these things is that you you can be a lot more aware of the way that your interactions that you previously may have thought were innocent mm-hmm. and just a just a friendship with this person or it's you're just making out with them it's not a big deal you can understand that there's a lot at play that you are unconscious of that's going against you in that way and mm-hmm. so you do have to be more careful than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're trying to be part of a loving community, every time you engage in those naive behaviors, everybody else sees them for what they are, especially the other women. And they hate you for it and they can't not hate you for it because you are doing that thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like if you're flirting with a guy who you can't be with or aren't even trying to be with right now, what you're doing is you're trying to reserve that guy Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. case you need him later. Mm -hmm. 
which is keeping him from really focusing his attention on other women who aren't reserving yeah. some other guy. Right? And vice versa. If you can't have that person, you're wasting your time <laughs> ultimately too. Like the woman flirting with that guy if they can't. Right. But if you're doing other, it, if you're doing it, it's because deep down you believe maybe you'll right. meet him later. Right. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. like women are known for this of having mm-hmm. a couple of guys because they might you need a man you like especially you got some kids or whatever like like or or you that could happen like having a guy like mm-hmm. on the side who would take care of you and so if you're a higher status woman a lot of higher status women will have some guy a guy or two yeah sort of like that they are kind of teasing a little bit so that if their high status man goes for a higher fertility woman They've got someone to go to and they don't have this. That's not conscious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so deceptive because it looks in our culture. It's just coined as friendship. You just have guy friends and it's so, it's so deceptive because we're, our culture is also always, we're, we're told or implicitly that we can have this like soulmate and this perfect, this, this right person. And so we're getting attached to all these people looking for the right person right but we're attached to like eight people and you know you know there's like we're supposed to be one but we're attached to eight and it's just (laughs) right yeah crazy and and all the time you're doing that you're not investing in what it means to be properly attached to people of your same right Mm -hmm. yeah right which is pretty fundamental and this sometimes people struggle with this so women will often struggle with this because what how women do this actually is what makes women who don't like to be friends with women because mm-hmm. right. as women do this and they like like higher status women will like try to have five different guys kind of dibbed and of course guys will always compete for the highest status woman they think they can get and so a higher status woman if you're like you're in the top half of women you can get three or more men competing for you right and that means all the other women hate you Mm-hmm. Right, and these are all yeah. substantive women who are smart and everything. They just might not be particularly attractive. They might not just not know how to make themselves attractive. And it looks like, oh, I just get along with guys better. I just get along with guys. <laughs> no. But you're really being a little flirty. I think that and it is sexually charged. If you are listening to this, or if you're mentoring someone mm-hmm. and you're thinking of someone right now who for whom this is true. It is very possible that this is not consciously what you're thinking. Right? It's, it's almost like certainly it's not. Probably conscious. because of that, right. if you are someone, because I think you know. 10 years ago, I would have heard this and thought, "Mm, what's the big deal? I think it's fine to just be friends with guys. If you're listening or mentor someone who's like this, I think it'd be good for you to do a little bit of uh, reflecting on, Mm -hmm. okay, if, if I'm convinced that that's not why I prefer to have male friendships, then what is the reason? And you may find that there are some of these things going on, or maybe you'll realize oh, I feel super insecure about women and so it's just easier for me to ignore them and I feel like I have more power mm-hmm. when I'm talking with guys or whatever so mm-hmm. I think it's really important for you to do a little bit of reflecting because it's not conscious it's not right. that you're trying to be a jerk to the rest of the women in your life but you need to realize that these there are implications and there are consequences to these things and so do some reflecting and see okay if I'm convinced this isn't why then then what is the real reason and it's something that getting back at, so in the class, we talked about life stages and the flow of the life stages. Mm-hmm. And so this is something you might not real have regret about until you're 35 mm-hmm. and might not be married or have children. And it's getting too late as a woman to have children. Yeah. And so, um, I know yeah. like my mom told me off of what you were saying, Nicole, when I was in high school, I 
I would, I was hanging out with some guys one-on-one, not dating them. And I just thought, oh, we're just friends. And she told me very gently in a very helpful way. She said, is this someone you want to marry? Because if not, it looks like you're taken when you're not taken. Mm. You know, you're, you're Mm. spending time with this person instead of someone else you might want to be with. And I, that woke me up and I stopped doing that. So that was a helpful way to talk to someone younger, (laughs) to wake them up to what they're doing. I I think too, from this conversation, think about boundaries that you want to have. Um, I think people don't like to talk about boundaries um, because they think, well, that's just too legalistic or I'm above that. Well, you might not be right now. So you might need to consider, you know, so when Scott and I did finally start dating, one of the things that I knew was that I just felt like I... I didn't think that I could engage in a relationship with him where we were physical with each other without that going somewhere I didn't want it to go. So we decided not to kiss in our relationship. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes things like that sound so, you just think, oh, that is so dumb. That is so stupid. But I thought, well, that's better than sleeping with him. So Mm -hmm. that's what we decided to do. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but you need to consider boundaries and you need to consider Um, Mm -hmm. and especially if you are single right now, consider them before you date someone, because Mm -hmm. once you start dating them, you're you're not going to want consciousness. Yeah. Don't come up with your boundaries in an altered state of consciousness. No, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Come up with them before that. I want to make two points. One is if you're a Christian for sure, hopefully if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you recognize you're going to want to be successfully monogamous, um, it becomes so painfully obvious after you get married that being a monogamous person is not easy. Mm-hmm. It is constant work. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're attractive, vivacious, intelligent, passionate. There's all kinds of bases for bonding, right? And um, and as you mature, f- f- this is true for women and for men, you're, you're probably going to become more attractive. Right. So especially if you get married younger, probably until you're at least 35, if you take care of yourself decently at all, you're going to grow increasingly attractive as time goes on. And one of the things a lot of women don't understand is after they have their first child, they often are less attractive physically because they're just dealing with body stuff of having the child. But there is something viscerally that happens to men around you after you have a child because it signals confirmation of your fertility. And that is that is viscerally connected to male attraction. That's why there's a saying, like, have you ever heard the saying, like a hot mama? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, so people don't think about why they say that, mm-hmm. right? And the reason that what it, it, connect, what it connects with viscerally is, is you've got a woman who's attractive. She was always attractive, but now her fertility is confirmed. Mm. She can have children. And so now you've got a woman who's attractive who can have children and she can have more children. She could have your children. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that functions kind of so like you don't be naive about this that like you're gonna be hot and then you're gonna get married and then you're gonna be a wife and like you're not gonna be like trying to troll and like over time you're you know, like gonna have babies and like it's not gonna be a big deal no it's gonna be a freaking big deal yeah. because you actually are gonna grow more attractive because you're gonna become a more mature human being which means there's more ways to bond with you right teenagers you can have these really pretty teenage girls who have like dangly hair that's been properly straightened and all that and. They're, they're in their physical, you know, prime, but they're so like tepid and like vacuous and they say the dumbest and things. Volatile. And volatile. Yeah. And they're emotionally <laughs> volatile and they're deeply unattractive in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so as they mature, they get, they get 
about the same or more physically attractive, but they just become attractive in all kinds of other ways too, as they mature as a human being. And this is also true in the church with godliness. Don't, don't believe for one minute that men or women separate godliness as an attractive quality mm-hmm. from their sexual attraction. Right. Because you associate mm-hmm. godliness with stability, mm-hmm. commitment, um, certainty, like a lot of things that are, that are highly attractive. Right. And so, um, that's one of the reasons why like praying together with somebody who isn't your spouse alone, like, or even in our dating relationship, praying together alone can actually be kind of a relatively disastrous. Yes. <laughs> that was something that I told college students just not to do. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. You can pray with them with other people, yep. but mm-hmm. prayer is so intimate Yep. Mm-hmm. and you can't, this is one of the reasons why Nicole has to work with, um, especially female worship leaders on stage. Because expressing devotion to God intimately and how you express your closing your eyes, like mouthing intimate words with your lips in front of a congregation that is half men can be extraordinarily sexually unhelpful because the the human body physiologically and like psychologically doesn't differentiate well between intimacies with the opposite sex, especially men. Mm-hmm. And so the more intimate a woman behaves in worship, either in prayer or in singing or any of those things. Mm-hmm. They are acting intimately, which signals sexual in like it signals something sexually right. inside of men. And so that's why like we talk about women singing, expressing strength of conviction in their motions and how they mm-hmm. sing on stage rather than like a languid, um, receptive kind of intimateness, right? Because although that's a proper spiritual, worshipful posture. For men and women. It may not be a helpful way to love the brothers in your congregation. Right, right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really critical. And so you need to say, I'm going to, and so as I increase in attractiveness, I'm going to want to be increasingly like stably monogamous. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And if you are naive about how these relationships function, mm-hmm. when you get in situations where you're getting less sleep because you've got children, mm-hmm. your husband's working longer hours because he wants to build his career because he feels the pressure of your growing family, but that actually pulls him away from you, but closer to his coworkers and so on, monogamy becomes a lot harder, mm-hmm. right? The average man who's working, let's say 43 hours a week, um, how much time are you as his wife spending with him? A lot less than that. Mm-hmm. A whole lot less than that. Yeah. And sometimes at work, if you're they're working closely with somebody, there's a lot of one-on-one time focused on mm-hmm. working on stuff that you have to get done, that you care about. Yep. And the other thing too is, and, and this should not be underestimated, is if if you are a woman and you have, let's say you have four good girlfriends that you think are funny, they're pretty, they're, they got good educations, they're vivacious, right? You really like being around them, right? And they all get married. Okay, what do you think is the, the likelihood that the that the kind of woman all their husbands married isn't a similar woman to you and vice versa? That the kind of man you marry mm-hmm. isn't going to be similar to the kind of man all of them pick. Yeah, which means it's decently likely you're going to have a friend group with real intimacy opportunity with mm-hmm. all of the husbands in your women friend group mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that a, a few times in our lives where Alexi and I would go to a new place and we'd make friends and she'd make friends with these great women um, and they'd all have great husbands. And like, if you step back and you like rewinded back to high school, you could put any one of them with any one yeah. of the other ones yeah. <laughs> right. and it would work. Yeah. And, um, and th- you shouldn't be naive about what that means. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Another comment I wanted to make about boundaries and mentoring. So 
um, if you're mentoring a young woman, um, be encouraging to her during the boundaries, like as she's setting boundaries and to set yeah. boundaries. Because one thing that Tim and I ran into um, when we, we dated in college, we were really good friends before we dated, which that was, there was a lot of emotional attachment You're in that. We're married now. We're married now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were dating in college and we, like Nicole and Scott, decided not to kiss while we were dating. And from the Christian community, yeah. we felt weird. Yes. Like people made us feel weird. They were yeah. they thought we were weird. Yeah. And then we felt alone. We we had no one to talk to. If Even, only we knew that we could have been friends in this yes. process. <laughs> we even went to the same school. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to make a point about this yeah. because probably a lot of people listen to that and be like, that is just insane. That's just crazy. Okay, yeah, well so, it kind of is. It yeah. is crazy. So yeah. let me let me make a, let me make a couple arguments about this. So for years I remember being a teenager and thinking being a Christian teenager and asking people, what's the line? Mm. What's the line? Yep. And like biblically, like the most direct line is sexual intercourse, obviously. Right. Um, Cause the Bible doesn't anywhere say don't kiss. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's why I think it does basically say that. Okay. There's two places in the Bible that I think basically say that mm-hmm. the first is, the most repeated verse in Song of Songs is, um, like, I abjure you or I encourage you, all young maidens, do not awaken mm-hmm. love before it's time. Mm-hmm. My freshman Bible study leader used that passage. I was like, oh, that changes things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the question you should ask yourself is, what awakens love? Yep. Right? It's, and Song of Song is, listen, if you read it carefully and you're any good at interpreting poetry, is a very sexual song and it's i've heard people say it's pornographic it's not pornographic it's just because if it was pornographic it would use more direct language it's the sexual content is alluded to through colorful poetry so that it can be highly sexual without being pornographic Mm -hmm. right which is how men and women ought to talk to each other because they should treat such sex as sacred and also treat it as voluptuous within a married relationship and so poetry is helpful for that right but like it's about sex it's about like there's like this place where they're like, Hey, can we go out to the country and have sex at the vineyard? Like that's literally basically what they're saying. And they're like, yeah, we need to go do that. And there's all these like very lurid sexual images. And so when she says, um, you know, daughters of Jerusalem don't awaken love before it's time. She is referring to a sexual relationship with a yes. man. And she's saying, do not awaken that mm-hmm. because once you do, you want to behave like I am behaving in this poem. You want to find him. You want him to find you in the middle of the night. You want to run away to the country. You want to, you want to do that. Right. Okay, so there's that verse, but that's still open. It's a principle. It is a principle that ought to hit you between the eyes, right? And so um, there was a book I read a few years ago um, called Raising Raising Purity, and it's about raising children to be pure, right? Like and, to read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the, being the mothers of sons, right? Yes, and exactly. So, Good book. It, and it is a very good book. Um, yeah. It's written by it's and written in a kind of a scholarly manner, but it's a very good book. Yeah. Um, and what the author says in that book is, he says, "Okay, if you try to figure out what ought to be done outside of a marriage relationship, he said the best example of this is in, I think it's in First Timothy. I can't remember which one it is, but it's like treat older women like this. Treat older women as mothers. Treat older women men as fathers with respect in everything you do. Right. Treat younger men as brothers." And then it says, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity, right? 
And so the argument made in that book, and I think this is accurate. I think you have to make a little bit more argument for it, but I think it's, I think this is an accurate argument. The line is you can do with your girlfriend or boyfriend, anything that you would do with your mother or your sister. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a way to hold your sister's hand. That's perfectly platonic. And there's a way to kiss your sister. That's perfectly platonic or your mother. And there's a way to hug your mother or your sister. That's fine. And there are ways to hug your mother that are not fine. <laughs> and there are ways to kiss your mother that are not fine. And, and so on. And obviously anything beyond that right, right, is, right. is not going to be fine. And if you go, well, that's crazy. And my response to that is, no, it isn't. Think about what distinction that makes. If it would be uncomfortable to do that with your sister, then it is by definition a sexual act. Then it is awakening love. Those and, and two go is, hand right, in hand. And it yeah. is awakening love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like you... Anybody who's married, well, anybody who's experienced this knows this, but especially people who are married know this is like, there's a nice like kiss when you're married and it doesn't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. It is mere affection. And then there's like another kiss that you can give your husband that awakens something. And you know what that is because like, you know, when you don't want to awaken that as a wife, cause you're tired. <laughs> right. And so you don't give him that sort of kiss and you, right. But you do if you want to. Yeah. And it's a very clear distinction. You know exactly what it is. And so what that here's what that means. It means you know exactly what it is. And if you don't, you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what awakens yeah. love. And it is any act that is sexual. And that is defined by, to, 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 to help you not lie to yourself, the clearest way to define it is anything you can do with someone who is your sister, who, yeah. is, your, who is your opposite sex family member mm-hmm. that you wouldn't feel weird at all about. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the reasons why that's important is even if you're a Christian and you don't have sex, but you do the other stuff, you actually spend more time groping and licking each other than you would if you just had sex. And what it does is it destroys the the bonding structuring of talking and, mm. and weaving together your personalities through conscious mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. And so that's why Matt Chandler often says intimacy and dating is talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the minute you start kissing the minute you start kissing even if you don't go much further than that right and you will everybody either kisses and gropes or has sex like that's those are your two options <laughs> functionally right mm-hmm. um and the minute you get even to that first one making out and groping that you will spend hours and hours and hours doing that because you can't satiate what you, it's being driven towards. Totally. And so it just creates an enormous amount of stress and enormous amount of frustration. Yep. And you're not getting to know each other better Mm-mm. at all. No. And so it really is this like strange idolatrous um, rehearsal of constant rehearsal of temptation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sin too, I think, because I think it's an intentional sexual act that you, that you don't have the right to. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. And so I actually think that what you guys did is, is the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the big objection, okay, so I'll let you guys take a shot at this objection because we're not going to get past this subject in this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's let, let's do this objection and do a couple, um, like a little sca- a little like shotgun uh, bits of advice to, to avoid affairs or yeah. unwanted sexual entanglements. Okay? Yeah. But a lot of women or men will say, how do you know you're going to be sexually compatible with the person if you're not at least French kissing them, right? Like how, how do you know it's not just going to not, how do you know they're not going to just be bad at it or whatever? I just think that's so silly. Yeah. 
I think it is something that you can learn together, especially in the context of a commitment. That's the safest place to learn something with another Mm -hmm. person um, because there's security there. And so just like you learn about each other through conversation, you are learning more about each other um, through your physical relationship. And you, it's, I think it's unrealistic to think you could ever learn all of that about someone before you commit to them. Cause you, there's always more to learn about someone. So to think that you have to cover that and be like, just to know each other completely in that way, mm-hmm. you don't need to do that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's also, I know you want to say something, Nicole, but I think it's also important to recognize that most of the things that create interpersonal sexual problems within a marriage are not present at the time of dating, especially mm-hmm. if you're young. Right. So things like the way stress in a man or woman's career will affect mm-hmm. their libido or sexual performance when they're 36. Like you don't find that out right. when you're mm-hmm. like getting intimate with a frat boy when you're 21 or 18, like, or, you know, th- those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just really not true that you're going to get a good bearing on the longevity or intensity of your sexual satisfaction by mm-hmm. having sex when you're young people. Mm-hmm. It's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. I think that culture places a really big emphasis on being compatible. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Like there, there are certain things that are, that make it easier to have a relationship. But I just think Scott and I were so on paper, not compatible with each other. And we have found, and I like what you said, Jill, that it's in the context of a commitment. And so there are lots of ways that you need to learn how to care well for your spouse and learn how to give and take in different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just think that your sexual relationship is just one other aspect of that, that if you are committed to each other, you can you can work past ways that you are seemingly incompatible. And so I just, I don't think there's, I don't think there's value in that as a, like as a reason to either have sex premaritally or to end a relationship. Like, I just think you can work through it the same way you can work through other uh, conflicts you have in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if you think you're compatible before you get married, you change so many times throughout marriage that, yeah, you might have to work through not being compatible at a future point. Yeah. And if you're going to, um, if you're going like sexual compatibility, people often think that's like the most important form of compatibility and it's not (laughs) right. Right. You're going to have sex less than 1% of your married life. Well, you're going to have sex less than 1% of your life period. Right. And that's true of people who are married too. And so value compatibility spiritual compatibility, Mm -hmm. intellectual compatibility, even humor compatibility Mm -hmm. is probably more important than sexual compatibility Mm -hmm. because sexual fulfillment is so much derived from your expectations, the care and safety of the relationship, whether or not the other person desires you and whether or not the other person participates in the sexual act Mm -hmm. and whether or not the other person is, you know, a woman or a man. And so, like, if those things are present, those things are fundamental to sexual satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? Does that make sense? So, the idea that somehow, like, sexual skill is going to matter significantly is only true if you approach sex in an idolatrous way, which we are taught to do. Mm-hmm. And so, because of that false premise, then it seems reasonable mm-hmm. that we should do it in a certain way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I remember this really touching story based on what you said. Uh, Nicole about a a couple who'd been married for years and then the woman had a stroke Mm -hmm. and the whole like right side of her face was paralyzed. And so then they like, 
he like when he was, he saw her in the in the hospital room and he said it was going to be okay and then he kissed her and he couldn't kiss her the same way he had for 50 years mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. or however long they'd been married and so he had to like adjust how he kissed her because yeah. she couldn't move half her face yeah and if you hear the whole story, like if you, if you don't have a romantic feeling from just what I said, if you hear the whole story, you know, generally you have a deeply romantic feeling about that because yeah. that's what it's like to yeah. be compatible mm-hmm. emotionally and, and to love each other and so on. And, and the whole sexual relationship could be umbrella under that metaphor. So does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We done with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So quickly to kind of come to the end of this podcast, um, let's do, since we've completely changed the subject to, um, <laughs> This question issue of sexual entanglement, which I think is very relevant given all the like the Bill Hybel stuff and the Me Too yeah. stuff. And um, yeah. one of the things I told the staff was it is not about sexual misconduct in the sense of like unwanted sexual advances towards women, which is generally the context. That's important. But for Christians, our goalposts are way back from that. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. goalposts are sexual purity and um, and avoiding in, in godliness inappropriate and sinful sexual entanglements Mm -hmm. a inappropriate sexual advance is when one only one person has been entangled and the other person hasn't and that creates an issue uh, of bad feelings but we want is for neither person to become entangled because it's just as uh, just as there's a lot of situations where a man or a woman will sexual make a sexual advance and it will be unwanted and then it will change the dynamic of the relationship unhelpfully within a work environment so to speak there's all kinds of, there's probably three or four where both people are entangled mm-hmm. and then they have an affair and they wreck a couple of families and so on, which I don't know what you guys think as women, but in my book as a pastor, I think there is more damage done when two people consent to an affair and destroy relationships and break up parenting units for children and so on. Then when a woman yeah. or man has felt profoundly uncomfortable, maybe has to change their job. And it's, I think that's terrible. But I think it's maybe less terrible mm, yeah. than if you have a consensual adulterous affair with two married people with families mm-hmm. because the wreaking of havoc goes out in concentric circles. Yeah. And in the world, they might just say, well, yeah, you don't want to have affairs, but that's not a big social problem. Yeah. The the sexual misconduct thing is a big social problem. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. they are both huge social problems right. and we can fix them both by growing in godliness mm-hmm. and learning how to avoid unwanted and mm-hmm. sinful sexual entanglements. Yeah. So what yeah. are your things for how to do that? Um, I can go. I have a couple of thoughts. I only have nine. So <laughs> you go first. Okay. So I'll try and say these succinctly. Um, the first I mentioned before, but well, is just that um, cut off those relationships and you may hurt that other person's feeling. You may feel, think that they're going to dislike you. They might dislike you. It they may, will. They will totally, they'll hate you and they'll <laughs> talk about you badly to other people. And it may make things really awkward in that relationship, but that is far better than destroying either your marriage or their marriage. And so don't just, if you don't, um, don't undervalue the importance of fidelity um so be willing to do whatever you have to do at all costs and you have to you have to be willing to do the really really hard thing otherwise this sounds harsh but otherwise you don't actually value fidelity in your marriage or this other person's marriage as much as you think you do or as much as you say you do um so that's the first one absolutely agree the second thing um and this is kind of a little related to that but um i think that 
it's easy to think in marriages. When Scott and I were first married, I think we would have felt this way that like, oh, you you never want to tell your spouse if you felt tempted in some way, whether it was a physical temptation or a visual temptation or an emotional temptation. Mm-hmm. Because what if they might get upset? They're going to not trust you or whatever. Um, it was actually when Scott and I were in our early marriage, we lived with Nick and Alexi in their basement. And it was while we were living there that we realized, oh, we've got it wrong, actually. It is more healthy and more more helpful to be upfront and honest and frank with our spouse about those things. And I found myself trusting Scott more when he brought these things to me and he trusted me more when I brought those things to him. And so it was just another, um, another way to, to guard against infidelity. Um, and then it's it's helpful because then those if there is a relationship that feels a little iffy, your spouse knows about it and can actually ask you about it. And so it requires you being honest with them. But um, I would encourage spouses to be willing to talk about those things with each other. And you may need to decide with each other how far in detail to go into it. And that's great. But um, we have found that to be helpful. Okay, three quick caveats on that. Because yeah. that can be very explosive too. The first is, I think you also need to have a f- open door policy with your spouse telling you that they sense a problem with you and someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lexi's done that with me a number of times. It, it's very helpful if you're a pastor mm-hmm. um, where she's like, I don't trust that woman. Yep. And she's probably done that seven to 12 times in my ministry, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And she she's almost always right. Mm. And she's almost always a little bit ahead of what I'm feeling. Mm. Or at least usually it's a helpful confirmation where I'll be like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two, that works if you already have a relative foundation of trust. Yeah. Because if you don't have a good foundation of trust and you start telling each other stuff like that, it, that can really spiral badly. So one of the questions you should ask yourself before you enter into that, because you guys had a pretty good relationship in relationship to godliness and wanting to do the right thing in Christ. And so when you entered into that, there was a, there was an adequate foundation. Yeah. People who don't have an adequate foundation, that's very different. That will can spiral way out of control. Right. Um, and then what was the third thing. Oh, you've got to like do the thing. So like if as a guy you say to your wife, Hey, I'm struggling with looking at stuff on my computer when I'm home alone working when you're gone. Right. That builds trust if and only if right. you like make progress. Yes. You tell her and then you do the hard thing and you do stuff. Right. Otherwise you break trust over time and you yeah. lose trust because she'll be like, yep. yeah, you've told me this before, but this is just about you feeling better now right. because you're not going to do anything about it. And so I think putting together honesty with action yeah. produces long-term trust. And that's why I said initially that I think that that is related to the first thing I said, that you have to do the do hard, hard thing. thing. Absolutely. You have to be willing to get rid of your computer if you want to, get rid of your phone if you need to, get rid of that relationship, change your job, take the drastic measure that you need to take. And the, yeah. the third thing, this is just a, a plug of something else, actually. When Scott and I, right before we moved back to Madison, we had been living in the Twin Cities, working on staff with a campus ministry together. So we spent almost all of our time together. And then we moved back to Madison to having separate jobs. And he had us watch uh, an Andy Stanley sermon series called Guardrails. Um, And there was one topic in or one sermon in particular that was about relational guardrails. And that was really helpful. So if you if you want to listen to more, I would encourage you to go listen to that. Cool. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, I have two things that come to mind. Uh, one is I haven't listened to those sermon series, but it, do, it that sermon series, but it does have to do with boundaries. And um, we've said this a couple times, but no one, 
I hope, wakes up. I don't think most people wake up and think I'm going to have an affair today. So it's really about those little things that build. So um, being very diligent about your and knowing your own heart and having a gut check. But what is my intention in doing this? And how do I really feel about this person? And uh, is this actually okay? And just in general, having boundaries and guardrails that you don't do, like going um, with someone one-on-one of the opposite sex to like a coffee shop or to hang out when you're not dating. Um, Can I say a quick thing about that too? One of the things Andy Stanley said in this whole series is that the guardrail isn't the dangerous place. It's preventing you from getting to the dangerous place. And so you put boundaries up that you think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But beyond that is really dangerous. And so sometimes you may think this boundary is like, why does it have to be that preventative? That's But that gets back to the issue of our physiological altered state of consciousness in attraction. That when you're attracted to somebody and you're already starting to get entangled with them, your your physical body starts to like biologically destroying your mechanisms of Mm -hmm. self-control hormonally Mm -hmm. so that you will bond further. And so you have to have the guardrail cognitively set back before that, Mm -hmm. before your willpower is biologically undermined by your own body. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is more experiential, but in my life I've seen, I've witnessed other people two different times have go through an affair. And I think when you are in that place, uh, like Nick was saying, you're not thinking clearly and you want to just bond with that person and you want to be with that person and you think this feels so right and this is going to be great. It's going to be better than what I had before because usually you're, you're discontent in some way and mm-hmm. that's what leads to affairs. Um, and so I just want to say that's not true. It does not. It's not better <laughs> in any way. Um, the two instances I've seen, it's destroyed families. It has caused generational wounds. It has confused people about relationships um, further. And it's just been very painful all around. And for the people in those relationships, too, that mm-hmm. made that decision. Mm-hmm. And it's very harmful. So. There's a new social science lie going around that there is new good research that says Divorce, when handled properly, isn't bad for children. And I want to say two things about that. One, that's a horrific, terrible lie. And that is not good research. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, nobody handles divorce well. Right. Right. You can pretend all you want. That's like saying, like, you can go into a brothel and not have sex. I mean, like, there's all kinds of situations that if if people behave in them the way people don't behave, then they could be good. And everybody wants to believe that they're the person who'll be sexually pure and not have a divorce or handle a divorce. Well, if they have one, nobody handles divorce. Well, Mm -hmm. you can't handle divorce. Well, and so the idea that like, it's like you can do this in a way that'll be good for the kids or whatever is just not true. Mm -hmm. You, you will create generational wounds in your kids. There's a reason why children of divorce are much more likely to get divorced and, and like they can overcome it. But they'll only overcome it if they did the hard thing you didn't. Mm. And you are the parent. You are supposed to do the hard thing, not your kid. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. And then in relationship to boundaries, the word boundaries has built in it etymologically the word for bonding, right? (laughs) And so there's this older, it's older now, I think it was published in the late 1990s, early 2000s by Henry Cloud called Changes That Heal. Yes. And later he wrote books on boundaries. But in that book, he actually splits it into two categories. That is bonding and boundaries, ways people come together and ways they separate orderly in an orderly way from Mm -hmm. each other. The worse you are at bonding, the better you have to be at boundaries. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're the kind of person who bonds really fast with people mm. or bonds really intensely, if you've had a number of whirlwind, intense, romantic, passionate relationships, then you need really good boundaries. <laughs> you know, yeah. and if you're kind yeah. of introverted and you don't get entangled very easily and so on, you may, you need all the standard wise boundaries, mm-hmm. but you may not need massive additional ones. So I've had, there have been women that I've helped pastor who have referred to themselves with the term a loser magnet. They're just, they're just great at finding men that will be terrible for them. And what I tell them is, is that they need a romantic board of directors. They need like three (laughs) people that have to okay anybody that they date. And I've had two women do that out of many. Hmm. And they're doing much better than the others Hmm. because they just realize, because they're really nice women. And if they got a good guy, they would have a great relationship. The problem is they never choose a good guy and the guys that prey upon them and see them as vulnerable are all these terrible guys. And so they need help getting into a good relationship and then they'll be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. And so women who are like, okay, I need help picking the right guy and they get that help. Then they often do really well. So part of it is like, if you're off on bonding, which you need to know, then you need to be on on boundaries. Yeah. And you may, it may not be your fault. You're off on bonding. That may be generational wounds and all kinds of stuff you didn't control. But what you can control is how good you are in boundaries now. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple things. Here's my shotguns. I'll say them briefly, and then you can comment on them. If about. Right. One is, Alexi and I have something we call the one-month rule, which is our, our relationship is never more than one month away from an affair. And that is just an idea that we have. That like mm-hmm. um, we believe in the commitment and covenant of our marriage, and yet we recognize that human beings and relationships are fragile. Mm-hmm. And so we treat our relationship like it's never more than one month away from dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We now do that as well because of attending this church. <laughs> yeah. And I agree. We do. Yeah. We have a similar mindset. Yeah. yeah. Good. Second, as we've talked about this before, you don't complain about your spouse yeah. to other people, especially of the opposite sex. Yeah. Because yes. that, that communicates to them that they're in a more intimate position than your spouse. Mm-hmm. Right. Three, limit time, intensity, and intimacy in your relationships with members of the opposite sex. Even if you really like them, they're really fun to be around. They're a lot like you, and you would love to spend more time with them. You just don't get to. Mm -hmm. Four, raise shields and detect shields. So when two human beings of the opposite sex are relating to each other, there's always sexuality in the air, so to speak. I tend to think because I'm a man, especially from the male side, but it's probably true both ways. And so you should have a psychological shield that you project, which is the, this general assumption in the air that if the woman made an advance towards you, if you're the man, it would be rejected Mm -hmm. soundly. Right. And, and probably not particularly delicately. Right. And you should be detecting their shield and you should sense one Mm -hmm. that if you made an advance towards them, you would expect to be soundly and roundly rejected. Right. And if in either case you sense that your shield isn't very strong or that their shield isn't very strong or isn't up, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. You can only interact in relationships where you can sense where your shield is up and you can sense that their shield is up. You need two layers of psychological Mm -hmm. shielding to have safety in a relationship. If yours is eroding or you sense theirs is eroding, you have a problem right now. Mm -hmm. And that gets at what? Well, maybe this is what you're going to say. What you were saying, Nicole, about um, just stopping Mm -hmm. right there at that relationship. Like, so kind of ignore them. (laughs) I mean, actually ignore them, maybe. You know, like you step back from that relationship if you sense that those shields are down. And I think that 
you may need to then like in order for people to know that your shield is up mm-hmm. like you may have to go above and beyond what you think you have to do um mm-hmm. probably especially if you're one of those people that nick was referring to at the beginning that you're just mm-hmm. like a generally really friendly person and you're not that great at like knowing how to bond well with people you may really need to just say something that seems to you like you're being harsh or rude or whatever yeah it's helpful to do that yeah mm-hmm. and there's especially if you're the kind of person who was a big flirt I was a terrible flirt and this is can be very difficult for me and I've had to work really hard at it. Okay. So uh, next don't do anything that could quote sexualize your relationship. So that would be any, and this is past shields now, but this is any indication of like sexual promise or like anything that would, that would lead somebody else to believe that your shield is down or you take an action. So th- th- there were these, uh, part, some of the accusations against Bill Hybels was that he told the staff worker that she looked really sexy in those jeans. And I'm sure he laughed about it. And um, he may have been like, oh, I'm old enough to be her father, whatever. But guys, be very careful about thinking that you're old enough that you can say stuff because you're because they're younger or whatever. Because one, you don't really believe that. There's a little part of you that's like that soldier in the movie Braveheart who's about to rape the girl and he says, oh, you remind me of my daughter back home. It's it's super creepy to them and it's not at all. They don't think, oh, it's my dad telling me that I look sexy in those jeans. That's not good. That's not helpful for them, right? So guys, be very careful about being the creepy guy who thinks because you're older you can say stuff. Um, but then too, you just can't say anything that could, even if like, you know somebody, a girl in your office, a woman struggles with how they look and they've worked really hard to look nicer. You need to be like, sometimes I remember you guys have both laughed because I've said something you've been wearing is very handsome. <laughs> and like that, mm-hmm. I like whenever I want to tell one of the women in the office that something they've done looks nice, I'm always very careful about the vocabulary because mm-hmm. handsome is like this Elizabethan word that basically says it's well-formed, it's mm-hmm. it's nice. But it, it doesn't have a connotation of sexy right. or something yeah. to it at all. And so sometimes I'll say, that's a very, you know, like, it's a very handsome thing. But like, because I want to say, that's nice. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think I've said to you before, you're, well, you're very artistically dressed. Today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because I want to say, like, I can tell you've put thought into how you look, but I don't want to convey anything mm-hmm. untoward. Right? And so sometimes you'll say stuff that sounds silly, but they'll still take it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. But it, you, But sometimes they can also tell that you're, you're being careful in your relationship, which yep. I think they should hopefully find affirming. Mm-hmm. Anything about that guys? Mm-mm. No. And don't ever, ever, ever say something that could sexualize another person's relationship. Mm. I, I had, I've had a situation before where somebody said something about my relationships with people on staff mm. and it was a, it was fair, a fairly cynical statement. And like, I had to treat that like a nuclear bomb. Because you can say something kind of offhand and you can destroy other people's relationships Mm. because you can say you can be outside of the relationship. But if you say something, you're still dropping that time bomb into their relationship. And it Mm -hmm. is like if if, I've said on our staff team, I I don't know if you guys remember this in the sexualizing conversation. If you say something that I perceive as sexualizing relationship between two other staff members, I will fire you. Mm. For me, that's a fireable offense. Okay. Next. Get to know the men in the life of the women you're... So this is from a male perspective. Get to know the men in the life of the women you're working with. So when I was in youth ministry, I went out of my way to get to know the dads 
of the girls that were on our leadership team. Now you might think, well, they're, they're, they were kids. You're whatever they're post pubescent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for men, any woman who has hit puberty mm-hmm. is within the realm of availability in terms of their biological sexuality. So there were, uh, there were a couple of girls in particular that didn't have fantastic boundaries that I worked with on a student leadership team. And I made, I spent more time getting to know their families mm-hmm. to just create more layers because in your own mind, if you're thinking spiritually, Whenever you're having temptations, the question of betrayal should jump into your mind. Mm -hmm. And the more concrete and widespread your sense of what the betrayal would be like, the better. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've found that to be really important in, um, particularly in ministry here. Vince and I have joked about this before because Vince is our kids pastor and he works with mostly women and I'm the worship director and work with mostly men. And so I've had, I've wanted to meet with some of the volunteers in the worship ministry before. I just bring Scott with and no one uh, there is like, why in the world are you doing this? Everyone understands the context of that. Or like I often. that's part of Scott's ministry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've also um, like talked to a lot of them about like asking them if they've gone on dates and who they're, who they're talking with and if they have a girlfriend and like that's, a lot of them are single, right? Yeah. A lot of them are single. And so that's a way for them and for me and for everyone to know, like, I am not interested in you. This is a shield that is up and I hope that you find yourself in a happy relationship too. And also I just think, you know, that's fun too. It's not like I'm. And if those men don't have sisters, they may find women mystifying. And sometimes it's, you can give them advice as they are pursuing another mm-hmm. woman. As yeah. long as there is a particular, I find that that's most helpful when they're trying to pursue a particular woman so mm-hmm. that, or mm-hmm. with, if I'm talking to a woman, if she's pursuing a particular man, mm-hmm. otherwise it becomes general yeah. mm-hmm. advice. And then that can feel kind of like, well, is the hypothetical yeah. person yeah. you're talking about you? Right. Yeah. Right. And that's unhelpful. Okay. So there's that one uh, women in your life. Okay. Next, don't aggravate your sexual appetites or continue to disorder them. So f- for, for example, the use of pornography mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. masturbation, um, like just just the imagining, the oogling and the imagining of relationships. Like it, for even for men, it's not just women who like would, will imagine what it would be like to be with somebody else. Um, Mm -hmm. Keeping Facebook friends who are old girlfriends or Mm -hmm. flames or looking at their Facebook pages and Mm -hmm. so on and be like, well, I would never PM them, but I, you know, I just want to see what their Mm -hmm. kids look like and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I would even say, just don't. Yeah. Being careful with, what shows you watch Tim has said before just with I mean it's really hard to find a show that doesn't talk about sex in today's yeah. culture but Tim and has glorify said, adultery and glor- yeah and glorifying mm-hmm. it and so um Tim has said before like, we should stop watching the show just because mm-hmm. of it's just talking talked about all the time and yeah. it's right. not helpful <laughs> yeah, right there's yeah. a show that you find yourself because of the way that they have arced the storyline, you find yourself rooting for the adultery. Like, right. Just stop, mm, right. stop yeah. watching that. Or just, or just a wrong sexual entanglement. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll find that's every show. Yep. <laughs> it's so, every, like I, there were a bunch of shows that Lex and I were trying to watch yeah. and it just felt like treason yeah. Yeah. to watch them. And I think that's good. I don't think that's growing in uptightness. Like for, for most evangelical Christians, if you become a Christian when you're young, there's this movement from like, Oh, the old people are uptight. I'm free in Christ. I'll drink mm-hmm. that beer and I'll watch these movies. And then you grow in godliness. And you begin to realize like the effects of sin mm-hmm. and how art ennobles yeah. or disennobles yeah. us and how speech ennobles or disennobles us. And we begin to realize more deeply how we're affected culturally mm-hmm. and how wicked that stuff really is. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you're like 28 and having your first kid and you're kind of like, I think I don't like Hollywood either. <laughs> you, know, like, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And you try to be cooler about it because the 22 year olds are going to treat you like you're a fuddy duddy if you say that out loud. Mm -hmm. But it's true. Mm -hmm. And then you begin to realize how much time you're wasting Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. your life becomes increasingly busier. And you're like, I can't be watching all this television. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's hard even to connect. You're like 27 or 28. And it's hard to connect with the 21 year olds already Mm -hmm. because you're like, yeah, I wouldn't waste your time watching that stuff. Yeah. You know, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Right. And so it's the helpfulness piece, I think. Right. And yeah. that's in specifically relationship to our sexual appetites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So don't aggravate because your sexual appetite, I think it's important for people to recognize this. They think their sexual appetite and their, and their orderliness sexually is what it is. It's not just mm-hmm. like your, just like your appetite. If you fast or eat appropriately or eat the right kinds of food, you won't be hungry all the mm-hmm. time. You won't constantly want to eat more sugar. If you don't eat sugar for a month, you won't be as driven to eat sugar as you were when you were eating it, drinking it, and eating it every day. Mm-hmm. Like your appetites change based on what you do with them. Yeah. And your sexual appetite is the same way. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly fantasizing and doing kinds of things that aggravate and disorder your appetite, your sexual appetite will be all out of whack. And, and then mm-hmm. you have to spend an enormous amount of energy keeping it under control. The more you get the appetite under, un, like ordered, I don't mean under control, like with self-control i just mean getting it ordered the way it's supposed to be the less Mm -hmm. self-control is required Mm -hmm. and the more you have Mm -hmm. which is great i think that along with that jill said something previously i don't remember when but you were saying how a lot of times affairs come from a discontentment Mm. that you have like this kind of peaks the same thing that if you can order your sexual appetite with your spouse well Mm -hmm. then that's what you'll crave more of but i i think it does come to if you are finding yourself longing for something that is outside of your marriage or with somebody who's not your spouse you it also is very important to do some reflecting and figure out what is going on right now. Why is that something you're experiencing? Why are you feeling this temptation? Are you, um, are you feeling a dissatisfaction in, in something that you can resolve? Is there a sin that you're, you've been avoiding and you're not confessing? Just there's, there's that piece of it as well. Right. It's going back to doing the hard thing. Yeah. So there's the hard thing of like pushing away the illicit relationship mm-hmm. or the wrong relationship, the entanglement. But there's also like continually re-entangling yourself with your spouse. Yeah. And that's hard too. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you just haven't talked for a while or mm-hmm. some couples will stop having sex mm-hmm. and then like, how do you get it started again? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that can be really awkward. Yeah. To be like, mm-hmm. maybe today we could, maybe we could make an appointment. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult or like getting on marriage, like a marriage retreat or like take getting a night away or like doing Counseling. those sorts of things. Yeah. So one of the ways that you can help prevent ad- adultery is by being your spouse's ally mm-hmm. against yeah. sexual morality. Also within the church, I think being other couples allies by yeah. like watching their kids so they can go on a marriage getaway. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the thoughts have done that for us. Mm-hmm. And I've, I know they've done that for other people. We've done that a couple of times so that this couple with three kids can get away for two mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And that's different than getting away for a date, mm-hmm. you know? And so one way the church can help people not have affairs is to invest in the, so sometimes you'll get date dating, um, kid watching co-ops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Half yep. the cost of a date is paying for childcare. Yep. Yep. And so if two couples are like, you watch my kid and I'll watch your kid. Um, just that can be a huge help in mm-hmm. keeping another couple, not just from having an affair, but th- having a relationship that thrives, that thrives and is yeah, enormously totally. enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The next thing is accountability. So for me, that would be male accountability. I have men who ask me, not just if I'm looking at porn or whatever, they look at my computer tracking to see that, but um, 
some years ago with when I when I was in a different staff situation in particular, there were certain women in my life where these accountability partners asked me to rate on a scale of one to ten hmm. how emotionally entangled hmm. I was feeling. Not are like is it good or bad? Yeah. But on a scale of it. one to ten, yeah. give me a number. And so I had to give it, a, I had to give it a number, which was very uncomfortable for me. And if I lied, I knew I was lying. Um, and so that was helpful too. And I don't think I ever did lie or didn't lie and then tell the truth immediately right after or like, no, I think it's a little higher than that. Actually, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and that was very helpful for me. Yeah. And they knew when I felt not as in control as I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I, so I knew I had people breathing down my neck, which was actually very helpful. And then just to reiterate at the end to do the hard thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is in the harder, the the sooner you do the hard thing, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. the less hard it will be. Because yeah. yeah. it's going to get a lot harder yeah. real fast. Yep. Yep. The minute you feel any kind of entanglement, it's going to get a lot harder real fast. So do the mm-hmm. thing immediately. And it will feel really weird. It'll And it'll feel wrong mm-hmm. emotionally. It will feel unempathetic and yep. it'll mm-hmm. feel like a sin against yourself almost. Mm-hmm. If you're a very sensual person, mm-hmm. especially. And you need to you need to you need to have that strong a doctrinal dogmatic mm-hmm. conviction. Yep. And that's why dogma is important because you can't. It has to be a deeper conviction than your emotions. Otherwise, there's so many things in life that will not work. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Any last comments, Jill? Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole. Mm-mm. Yeah. So hopefully we we didn't cover what we started out to try. We still need to do <laughs> advice for women. Um, <laughs> for escaping battle but um i'm sure we can we can label this like avoiding entanglement or whatever yeah, yes uh, john is very clever so thanks everybody <laughs> for listening and stay tuned for a talk on advice to women in relationship to escaping babble see ya thanks for listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps that are like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.